On today's This Is Believeland podcast, I am joined by Ashwin Ramnath, who is a contributor for uh, Posting and Toasting and is the co-host of the Posting and Toasting podcast. Welcome back. What's going on? Thanks for having me. Well, I figured to uh, get your opinion on what the Knicks are doing right now. Uh, they seem to be in the news for some not-so-good reasons, some other reasons which are kind of meh, and some more interesting reasons. But I figured we'll start with the being in the news for the wrong reasons. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Highly criticized for their statement they made the other day. Uh, can you give me some insight into what exactly is going on here? Uh, I mean, it's exactly what it reads like, I guess. Uh, so they didn't make a statement when other teams made a statement, um, regarding, you know, Black Lives Matter and everything that's going on right now. Um, I don't personally know why it matters as much as certain people seem to think. Um, I think PR releases in general are, they're called PR releases for a reason. Um, they're not really indicative of anything other than an organization or a corporation just trying to, um, you know, put on a good face for the public. Uh, I don't know. Uh, do I wish they'd handled it differently? Yeah, of course I did. Um, I would be, I would love if they took a very progressive stance and all of these things. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know how much it matters because, uh, like, I've read a lot of these PR statements and they're all basically not saying shit. Uh, most Pretty of them much. are just like, you know, racism is bad and violence is bad and we should all do better. And it's like, you know, um, if people want to get mad about it, uh, and I understand that, and I don't think it's wrong. Um, I just personally don't care about the Knicks statement they put out on a topic like this because I don't care about any of these team statements on stuff like this. Uh, I think it's more important what you actually do and the actions you take. Um, I don't know if James Dolan is a racist or not. I highly suspect he's not. Uh, I think he's probably more guilty of being a coward uh, and being more worried about like his, you know, the financial implications about taking a stance on something like this, um, rather than him being a racist. Um, I just, I don't know. The whole discussion about it, it's really weird to me. Um, like the Knicks have employed probably more black executives and head coaches than the entire rest of the league put together since like you know in this millennium mm -hmm. um that doesn't seem to matter but a pr statement would have mattered if they had done it in the right time and said the right things like that none of that really makes sense to me um i think it's really interesting how like people like nba media and fans are so quick to jump on this and that's fine i actually think that's a really good thing mm -hmm. because you should care about stuff like this but it's interesting they're very easy to jump on James Dolan not saying something in a PR release about this subject, but basically gave LeBron a huge pass on the whole Hong Kong thing, which was, you know, essentially the same concept of 
systemic oppression from an authoritarian regime against mm-hmm. peaceful protesters, you know, we're all very happy to look the other way and not care about it. So I don't know what it means really for, I think it says more about the state of media than it does about James Dolan, because I knew James Dolan's an idiot and like probably not a good person. Like most billionaires are generally like not really focused on anything other than making more money. So like I personally don't give a shit what any of them say or what any of these teams have said um, because I think actions are more important. And, you know, uh, to my knowledge, none of them have really done (laughs) anything significant in that sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, that's my long, long essay uh, (laughs) on that. That's just, I don't know. It's just really hard for me to get like, you know, pissed off about it just because I think there's so many more important and worthwhile things to be pissed off about right now. And that's accurate. I, I think uh, I think what it comes down to is compared to all the other statements that team made that teams made, there's more of a non-statement statement where they're like we're putting something out here but there's very little mm-hmm. substance to what we're saying. And I think the other part of the issue is that it's a mix. I mean, if if let's say like the Cavs or Pistons did this, I people would care significantly less about it because it's the Knicks. They're in New York. It's supposed to be a iconic franchise, and they go out and give like twenty percent effort on it. It's just it's going to get magnified. Yeah, and I mean that that's fair. Um, you know, that's just the kind of thing where like, like again, like. I hate doing this whataboutism thing because it's just like, I just find a lot of it like very hollow to me. I mean, if this matters so much because it's James Dolan and the Knicks in a big market, why like, you know, the fucking owner of the Brooklyn Nets, Joe Tsai basically defended China on Hong Kong and like defended their actions and said that people here aren't basically shouldn't have an opinion on it. And the league shouldn't have an opinion on it. And Daryl Morey definitely shouldn't have an opinion on it because they're not well-educated on the issue. But now he's, like, putting out PR statements about Black Lives Matter and he stands with peaceful protesters like, you're full of shit. And a lot of these people are full of shit. Like, mm-hmm. the Red- the Redskins put out a very nice PR statement. The Washington Redskins. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if, if none of this is matters to me because it's all so hollow and empty and... Like, you know, I don't think most people, you know, it's easy and expedient to care about this right now because I think the general public is on, it is supportive of Black Lives Matter currently. Mm -hmm. And more importantly, it's not, it's not hitting them in the wallet. You know, it doesn't cost them. It doesn't cost most teams. And this is like why I don't get why James Dolan just didn't release a, a statement like just saying Black Lives Matter because right now saying that isn't costing you anything it's not costing you money it's not costing you like political capital or social capital it's a very like, popular sentiment right now and especially among nba fans and consumers i think that's like the vast majority of nba fans and consumers are you know pretty left leaning progressive liberal like at least that that's the way they lean so i think it's fine um when something like hong kong comes about you kind of see that, you know, not everybody is necessarily as tied to the idea of, like, morality and mm-hmm. uh, pushing for civil liberties at all costs because 
that actually hurts them in their wallet because China will just be like, okay, well, we're not going to show any of your games here now. Um, and all of a sudden, that cuts into your pie. And then you have LeBron talking about the financial impact that has on individual players. And it's like, you know, I mean, are we – if we're going to shit on James Dolan, which is fine. Like, we can shit on James Dolan all day, <laughs> and that's cool with me. But, like, if we're going to shit on James Dolan for this, it just seems like, you know, how many – people are really that different like mm-hmm. i've talked about this before in terms of the nba media so like a lot of the i mean i'm sure you follow a bunch of people I uh, do. on twitter and i think it's pretty obvious that for the most part like most nba media guys are you know if they're not democrats they definitely have like liberal leanings progressive yes. leanings mm-hmm. and um you know during like the coronavirus uh, when it first like you know when everything first went into lockdown we were in quarantine i think there were a lot of people that were talking about how we need to stay locked down forever because it's a matter of health and you got a lot of these nba writers chiming in with their two cents you know donald trump is bad republicans are bad because they want to get people back to work and it's not safe and it might not be safe for a long time blah 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 blah, blah. and then as soon as the nba announces hey we're going to come back with the season it's like i nothing about that I don't hear anything about like how the the players are at risk and there's really no talk about that. And like, you know, now we're starting to get like a trickle of tweets from Woj indicating that, yeah, maybe there are players that are like worried about this kind of stuff. Um, but I don't see writers putting the NBA on blast for that. I didn't see NBA writers blasting like, you know, I think uh, a couple of the teams that apparently I think Clay Bennett, Oklahoma City's owner and – I forgot who what the name of Atlanta's owner is, but they were really pushing for all 30 teams to be involved in this restart. And it's like, you know, I mean, it's not, it's comparing that and like what's going on with Black Lives Matter and people marching and all that. That's, not, it's not, they're not even like the same thing comparably. Mm-hmm. But I think it's more of like, to me, why, like, you're so okay. Like, people are just very okay with put, like, being moral and having these high morals when it's convenient but then when it's like challenging maybe maybe when it involves challenging people you work for or it costs money out of your pocket Mm -hmm. and stuff like that like i think you kind of see that all of a sudden okay yeah now actually like you know it's not it's not like we're we're really that upstanding people and i mean even with black lives matter what is different now than four years ago when Kaepernick started like kneeling and shit like that and like Ferguson and all this stuff? Like, I mean, that's even longer. I think that was what, like seven years ago, eight years ago, maybe Ferguson. I don't, I don't remember it to be honest. It, it's all like it, the, it all just like blurs together because there's been so much stuff. But it's like, you know, I just, it, it's whatever the reasons are for why things have taken off in the way they have now. And I'm happy they have. And, you know, I'm as guilty of this as anybody because it's easy to, like, know these things and it's different to actually care enough to do anything about them. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, you know, I, I just don't know what is – I just don't know what's different now between now and, like, you know, 2016 or something when Cap was kneeling and people – you know, nobody like it wasn't like everybody was on board with that. I don't remember every athlete coming out and like supporting Caps' right to kneel. In fact, there were a lot of NFL players, obviously, that 
weren't for that and against it and owners and you know i just i guess like to me i would much rather we just did not care about what nba teams and owners do to signal that like yeah we get it like we totally get you know black lives matters and systemic racism and you know like police brutality because i don't think they really do get it and if we're just going to selectively be like, well, James Dolan sucks for this, I it, it just loses its like credibility to me because there are a lot of people that you can, you know, <laughs> look at with the with the lens like that and be like, well, are you really about this? You know, are you really an ally of this, or are you just saying it right now in this moment? Because if you don't, it's a bad look. The moment it stops being a bad look, will you really care? I don't know. And I think like I, I think the answer in a lot of ways would probably disappoint us. Yeah, uh to, to comment on a couple of things that you you said there, uh you know, the difference between at least in my opinion, uh whether it's factual or not, but I don't know, my opinion between what happened with you know, the whole Hong Kong thing compared to what's happening now is that it's it wasn't on people's doorsteps. And so people weren't yeah. going to necessarily go out and speak out in front of it because it wasn't impacting them directly or somewhat indirectly or at least adjacently let's put it that way than what that was so now that this is in you know in our country where we are i mean people are feeling the impact more directly than they would with what was happening there so i think that's why it's different not that it's right but that's why yeah Uh, i mean when, when i just to be clear like when i was saying people i wasn't talking necessarily so much about me and you. Yeah. And I'm talking more about like, you know, it's like we take a lot of our cues kind of just based on what people in the league, in the league mm-hmm. are talking about. Right. Yeah. And so that was a hot button issue because it was just like, it was like really the most random thing because Maury <laughs> just tweaked out like this pretty innocuous, like I stand with HK and that turns into like this huge thing. Um, like, and I agree with you. It's definitely because, you know, we're Americans. Obviously what happens here is going to like impact us more and we're going to mm-hmm. think about it deeply. Um, and, and we should, uh, I, I guess where I'm standing on is more like if you're, if you're going to care so much about like the Knicks and James Dolan and whoever else, like, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's not like it's just been restricted to the Knicks and James Dolan. I think there are other owners and other people that have said, more and equally and all kinds of stupid things right now that are getting like exposed for what they are. Um, I just think it's like, you know, I, or I rather, I hope that we have the same kind of like moral code and just general willingness to, to combat these issues um, beyond just like this moment and this movement in this specific scope. Um, because there's a lot of things that are obviously wrong out there, and I think at least now we're seeing that if we voice our opinions um, in mass, it has an impact. Yeah, and uh, I mean the only reason we're singling out James Dolan and Knicks here is because you know you're a Knicks guy, so uh, that's that's the only uh, real reason here. Uh, no, man, like you fuck James Dolan, and that, that statement was bullshit. And it's like you know if you're going <laughs> to take two weeks to come out with one. I, I, at that point, it's just like I would rather you just didn't say anything. Um, 
Hey, I'm always on board with trashing any member of the Dolan family. So uh, let's go. <laughs> you know, considering you know, you know uh, they also with the Indians. Uh, so and and their uh, old set of issues. Uh, what I was going to say is, uh, it seems like we're relatively uh, on the same on board here with essentially if you're. Do it all the time. Don't do it when it's popular and convenient to put out statements like this. Don't do it when it's, I guess, the trendy thing to do, which is it seems like a lot of brands, a lot of companies, a lot of organizations have seemed to take in that and just yeah, kind saw, of went with it. Like I saw that um, – who was it? Okay, Amazon. They put out like this wonderful PR statement and, you know, they – against like – systemic racism and all this kind of shit and it's like yeah but you also sell facial recognition software to the feds which essentially like helps combat <laughs> like you know uh peaceful protesters in a lot of it's instances mm-hmm. and it, it's just like it, it's all bullshit to me and there's very few companies that actually like uh, very few companies live by the virtues they extol um you know shout out to ben and jerry's um, yep. Very, very legit. But like, you know, your Ben and Jerry's are few and far between. And I and I think when people start like fighting over which billionaire or which corporation or which super rich person cared more or cared the right way about signaling like <laughs> that they care, essentially, uh, you're you're giving you're letting them off the hook already because. You should be judging them on a totally different standard. Like, you know, if if Dame Zolan didn't, if he didn't say anything, but was also like creating all kinds of different funds to donate to like causes fighting or foundations fighting like systemic like racism and police brutality and you know putting campaign dollars to work and stuff like that then i wouldn't care if he didn't say anything like it would be i wouldn't care if any of them said nothing but actually did something with the resources they have that's what i would care about but like you know for the most part and i I, correct me if i'm wrong i just don't i don't recall any major sports team really like doing anything like that uh not to my attention uh not that i've noticed uh but i I mean, I'm with you there. Uh, do something, don't just say something. You know what I mean? It's easy to say yeah. something. Anyone can say something. Do something. Yeah, can... Put something in action. Make an actual impact and a difference. I mean, like, I I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but it's like, you know, I watched The Wire when it came out, and, like, a lot of us watched The Wire when it came out, and everybody was really woke, and everybody understood, like, what was wrong in America, and then none of us did anything. Mm-hmm. And, like, that includes me, but, like, that's kind of the point, right? It's, like, very easy to be aware of stuff and say stuff and, like, talk about it even and discuss it. But to actually, like, you know, like, what's happening now is really special and unique because people are actually doing things and, like, taking matters in their own hand and expressing discontent in ways that is forcing, like, actual change to be considered at least. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's amazing and it's special and it's wonderful. Um, like, I just really really i i don't think like what a sports team says affects that as much as maybe sometimes like we as sports fans and people that cover it 
want to believe it does. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong on that because of like the brand value and stuff. I just don't know how much this stuff matters. I'd say with the you know an overarching you know painting with a broad brush, yes. But I mean, I, I think there are uh, some examples or some instances where uh, the opposite can be true. But those are few and far between. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's all very interesting to me. Um, you know, it's it would be nice. Uh, if if it created any kind of legitimate change among the owners amongst in the views of like the uh, the owners of the NBA, if any of them actually took this moment to change, that would be dope. It would be. Uh, let, let's move on to our next topic because I feel we could talk about this for hours. Uh, <laughs> I think we got our, our general idea and general point across there. Uh, but <clears throat> the Knicks and their coaching search. Uh, Interesting, because they they might stay, they might keep Mike Miller in the mix. Uh, they might. I saw some report that Mike Woodson might be back in the mix somehow. What is going on there? Uh, so I mean, from what I gather, um, Woodson is mostly just being interviewed, like as a uh, potential lead assistant candidate, not as a head coaching candidate. All right. Um, I, he was interviewed last time they interviewed for a head coach. So when they hired Fisdale a couple years ago, um, I think it may also just be the fact that he was the last coach to have a winning season and any level of success in New York. So, um, it might be worthwhile just to pick his brain and see if there were certain factors that he thought were conducive to that, um, success that they had. Um, you know, I think stuff like that. I, I don't know if the Knicks are <laughs> that intelligent, but, uh, you know, I think there's many reasons you could interview him. And I, I would be very shocked if he was ever seriously in consideration for head coach. Um, the tip stuff seems like it has legs. I don't see any reason to doubt that they have in, a significant interest in Thibodeau. Um, but, you know, it's all also worth noting that, like, they've hired three different guys to their front office and, like, really nobody knew that they were going to hire those guys until they happened. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know how much the, – the Thibodeau stuff seems like it has legs. A lot of legitimate reporters have basically said that he it's his job to lose, um, be it Shams or Mark Stein or – any of the various New York local media guys um, that that's, you know, been the theme, but we'll see. Um, like I said, it, it's a lot of like the things that Rose has done so far, which isn't too much to be fair. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the hires he has made, nobody had any reporting on it until it happened. So um, I know Thibodeau was a CAA or is a CAA client and Leon Rose was uh, basically ran and built up the CAA sports division um, as an agent. So that it could be a little, a lot of two plus two equals four going on there, but um, you know, we'll just wait and see. I I do think Thibodeau stuff is legit and Mm -hmm. I would guess he will be the next head coach, but I wouldn't totally shock me if it was not the way that's not the way it panned out. Okay, so uh, hypothetical here. They let's say they hire Tom Thibodeau. Are you ready for a whole bunch of like old Chicago Bulls to end up in New York? 
Uh, I mean, I would be a lot more worried about that if he was had like the personnel control, uh, which I think was like a big problem for him in Minnesota. Uh, he's basically said as much on the record. He didn't interview for first take or something like that. I think a couple of weeks ago where he intimated that um, he said that that was something where like he has no interest in front office stuff now. And well, that's good. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I think a lot of coaches have had that issue, right? Where they get front office control and like they really struggle with it. Mm-hmm. Um, that happened with doc rivers, doc rivers, great coach. Um, but like really sucked at being a GM and you know, it, it's funny how that stuff like plays into each other and it changes the perception of of you. Like, because for a while there, people like people thought like, you know, Doc Rivers was maybe not as sharp a basketball mind as he was, but like really he just sucked at being a GM. And since they've done an actual front office again, um, you know, the Clippers clearly have been doing wonderful things for themselves. I mean, yeah, also helps you get uh, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George into the mix. Uh, <laughs> uh, another uh, coach who had uh, GM power uh, that did not work out well was Stan Van Gundy in Detroit. <laughs> uh, that was somewhat of a disaster. Uh, right. right. <laughs> he had some success, but overall, uh, I would describe it as a disaster. Uh, mm. And GM controls actually why he took that Pistons job. Uh, he was reportedly down between the Pistons and the Warriors back then, and he took the Pistons. Yes. And yep. Imagine yeah, how I much mean, how things would be different if he didn't want the GM control and just took the Warriors job. Yeah, the, that's the stuff that's always, uh, you know, like I, I think, I think uh, it's pretty interesting because before he went to Minnesota, you know, Thibodeau was basically universally acknowledged as a great coach, um, or at least a very good one, mm-hmm. and someone who had been unfairly treated by Chicago management. And, uh, you know, I think if you look through each of those seasons in Chicago, either performed to or exceeded expectations, overcame a lot of injuries. Um, now, some of those injuries, you can also say, well, it's his fault because he's overplaying these guys, but, like, I think as we know with how the NBA has developed in the last three, four or five years, teams like, you know, front offices and players themselves have a lot more control over minutes and just overall load management mm-hmm. than even head coaches do. Um, I know that there's been articles written about how sometimes coaches don't even know if they're going to have a player available um, yeah. until like an hour or something before the game. So I think at this like to me at this point the minutes stuff isn't some of it is obviously on the coach for sure mm-hmm. but i think there the majority of it falls on the front office and medical department and those two working with like a player and his own you know personal advisors um kind of just like working together to come up with the, the right plan. Um, I, I Again, and I, I think a lot of that stuff gets dictated to coaches. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, like, I think Thibodeau is an interesting case study because as a coach, uh, he's, he's done a pretty good job. Um, the main strike on him is that his Minnesota time is seen as like a disaster, but I, I really think he did fine. 
Yeah, I think a lot of that was also just because, like we talked about, he had the GM control there. Mm-hmm. And that created issues which, like, you know, it's like, again, it's hard to divorce those roles when you have both of them. Uh-huh. So it, it just, like, those issues are compounding and they probably create some of the issues he dealt with as a coach where I think, like, you can reasonably guess that Thibodeau with a competent front office might i mean there's enough out there in his track record to suggest that he can do a good job in that capacity yeah i just think he's someone who just can't be his own gm needs someone to provide the players you know maybe give a little input of what type of player what he's looking for but overall have a minimal uh role in acquiring the players on his team uh he needs someone to just give him the players and he figures it out from there. Uh, cause as, as funny as it was to make fun of, you know, the timber bulls, uh, <laughs> because right. that was ridiculous at that moment <laughs> in time. Uh, not his, is not his best effort, but I think he did better than I think people want to admit, but I don't think he did as good as he could have. Yeah. I, I think that's definitely fair. Um, and like there are valid concerns about, his style, uh, even aside from the minutes, which I personally, like I said, I just explained why. I don't yeah. really care about the minutes stuff that much anymore. Uh, maybe like five years ago it would be more concerning because coaches were allowed to like <laughs> make decisions then. Uh, <laughs> but, but um, you know, like, you know, it's obviously concerning that he's never seemed to be like this coach that, cares or focuses so much on like getting up a ton of threes and his teams historically haven't played too fast and the defense in Minnesota wasn't as great as it was in Chicago and like I think that stuff is all in bounds and and fair to think about um the interesting thing is if you like track through his teams I mean forgetting Chicago because you know I think anybody here or any anybody who talks about that like with a great level of a surety that isn't a Bulls fan or uh-huh. was in local Bulls media is full of it. Cause I was so long ago at this point, but um, you know, if you're looking at like the Minnesota tenure, I think it's pretty interesting because the knocks on some of that, like on top of that, some of the other knocks on him has been that like, he's not like a good development coach uh, as track record would suggest otherwise. And even in Minnesota, like he had no problem playing Towns a bunch, playing Wiggins, playing Levine, playing, you know, even, like, fucking Tyus Jones. Like, you know, he's he was comfortable playing these younger guys' minutes, and he's always been comfortable playing younger guys' big minutes like he did in Chicago, too. Um, like, uh, it's interesting when you track that, though. Like, I actually went through and did this, but, um, you know, uh, he's talked about now he's doing, like, this media tour thing where he's, you know, like, rehabbing his image or whatever but um he talked a little bit about how he learned new concepts and visited with other coaches to pick up ideas and stuff and like you know a lot of people say this and it doesn't even mean anything a lot it's just like they know that that's what people want to hear um it's interesting though when you track his minnesota tenure because so his last year there they actually um improved defensively so he coached 40 games last year they improved from 27th and 25th in defensive rating his first two years to 17th um, that last year. 
they ended up finishing 22nd, I want to say. And now this year they were 22nd. And in the minutes with Towns, they've been even way worse than that on defense. Um, so that hasn't improved since he's left um, offensively. So, like, they they were – I think they were, like, 30th his first two years in terms of um, percentage of shots from three. Mm-hmm. Uh, his last year they actually improved pretty drastically – because they were, like, by far and away the worst mm-hmm. <laughs> that second to last year. But his last year there, they actually improved to 22nd. Um, they took, over. They took like, just under a third of their shots from three, which is still not good enough for kind of, like, the standards of most teams now, but uh, mm-hmm. was a major improvement. And, you know, what's also crazy is they went from, like, I think they were a bottom five pace team his first two years, and then his last year they were actually 12th. Um, and they did this with Towns, Butler in his limited action that year because he got traded, and Wiggins all actually playing less minutes than they yeah. had the year before. Um, so, like, you know, it's just this, – this this always happens because it's easier to talk in narratives than to really, like, talk about the nitty-gritty because the nitty-gritty is boring, and I'm sure half your listeners just passed out listening to all that. Uh, <laughs> but, like, yeah, it's – there's a lot of stuff with Tibbs, and – you know, I think there's re- there's reasons to be skeptical, but I also don't think the like revision, or, like the revisionist history of him now is just this, you know, this grinder coach who nobody listens to and like is outdated. It, that just seems really lazy to me. And you know, that's that's a fair point. I mean, uh, <clears throat> some of the things from uh, Thibodeau are. I guess worthy of criticism, but it, need, it needs to be done in the correct manner. Where a lot of times it seems to just be done haphazardly, just to you know dunk on somebody. Uh, but <clears throat> I, I will say about you know the, those Timberwolves teams that were not necessarily shooting a whole bunch of threes. A lot of those guys weren't three point shooters, so that didn't help anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was that's that's another thing I I've like looked into. Most of the guys that you would have been like. You know, they didn't have to, like, I mean, that goes again into, like, why don't have him be the GM? Because mm-hmm. that's clearly, like, something that he probably didn't focus on. He was just like, no, I got to, I want, like, Butler and I want to get Teague and, like, have these vets because we got to win now. And, you know, coaches focus on winning now. GMs have to focus on, like, winning now, but also winning two and three and four and five years from now, there's like a, a longer term vision for how they need to build. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think, uh, if he, if, if he is just coaching, the track record has been good of him as just a coach. Yes. And <clears throat> it'd be interesting, uh, if he goes to the next, uh, but, I, I have no idea what direction they're going. Is there a certain coach you want them to hire? Is there like a certain coach you don't want them to hire? Um, I I would actually be fine with Tibbs. Um, I think of the coaches that have been suggested, I would I would like him the most. I think Atkinson would be fine too. I uh, mm-hmm. did a good job at Brooklyn. I have my own concerns with him um but you know did a good like you know every coach has stuff to really uh every coach is gonna every every team i've ever followed uh or seen fans talk about on twitter 
they bitch about their coach. Yes. Every single one. Um, so there are no good coaches, according to us. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, the thing is, any coach you look at is going to have things you don't like about them. So when I say, like, there are things about Atkinson I don't like, it's not like that means much. Um, mm-hmm. There are just some things that give me pause with him. Uh, I prefer Tibbs. If they hired Atkinson, I'll be fine with it. I don't think people, including myself, can comment too much on coaches from like it's easy to coach uh, comment on the coach of your team because you watch that team every game and you know what's going on with your team all the time i think it's a lot different evaluating coaches of separate teams when you're not following that team day to day during their time there um what i can tell you is that bulls fans hate or bulls fans love thibodeau and wolves and timberwolves fans hate thibodeau Mm-hmm. Um, is that because they won in Chicago and they didn't win in Minnesota that much? I don't know. Maybe that's it. Like, if that's how we're evaluating coaches, it's different. And I know with some Brooklyn fans, there are a bunch that like Kenny, and there's a lot that don't. Um, so I would be fine with either of those guys, though. Um, I think they're both qualified candidates. I think they both bring strengths to the job that are useful for where the Knicks are currently. Aside from the other, aside from those two, though, I mean, there hasn't been a whole lot of <laughs> really like links with any other names, um, in, and not not anything meaningful anyway. Like early mm-hmm. on, there was always the token Mark Jackson suggestion. Oh God, uh, I'm so yeah. tired of him. Yeah, I mean, that, I think that that's just it seems like everybody's it, obligated to just throw his name in there. It's same with Jeff Van Gundy; he gets always gets thrown back into the mix. I'm like, he hasn't coached in forever. Why are we doing this? <laughs> I don't know. Um, now, <clears throat> the NBA is returning uh, for most teams. The The Cavs and Knicks are teams that are going to essentially be left at home. Um, yes. <laughs> so we will not be joining the Disney World bubble biodome with Pauly Shore. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh they will not be participating. Um, so is the problem I see for, you know, for us, you know, these two teams and, you know, the other six left out is they're going to be going, you know, eight to nine months between playing basketball games. And that could be a huge problem, uh, at least for the Cavs, you know, because they seem to be turning things around after they separated from John Beeline and installed J.B. Bickerstaff as their new head coach. They seem to be taking some new strides and actually mm-hmm. gelling and getting things going and what this team was supposed to be and not what they were for the most part. Is there anything similar with the, the Knicks where you think that they would be uh, benefit to play the, you know, the remaining whatever, how many games was on the schedule, you know, the handful or, you know, taking in part of some sort of I don't know, losers tournament, losers bracket, just to stay fresh. Yeah, uh, I don't. I'm. I'm pretty like. I don't even think they should be finishing the season. I think they should really just like, not just go playoffs, right? This whole thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it just it also just it just seems like a disaster waiting to happen. Um, in a lot of ways, but you know, if they're going to do a losers thing from what I've read, it just, it seems like they would match up to, cause there's eight teams. So mm-hmm. They'd match up in pairs of two and just like 
kind of play a series of games or something. Um, And I guess that's okay. Um, You can probably limit that easier than you can what they're going to be doing in Orlando. So Mm -hmm. um, it's less risky, and that's important. Um, I I don't know. I again, like I would just rather they don't come back until it's safe. I know that there's money and all that kind of stuff that needs to be considered, but mm-hmm. um, I, yeah, I don't know. It just all it feels like gross to me almost in a way. <laughs> it's a fair statement. Uh, the the one problem I have is is I understand wanting to return, but I'm I'm on the. Uh, the side of just go to the playoffs. The teams that are outside of the playoffs, they're enough games behind mm-hmm. with the remaining games on the schedule that it would have been very difficult for them to overtake the eighth place team. But they're incorporating right. some sort of weird series of crap that I've tried to digest, but I need some sort of you know legend, like I'm reading a map and some sort of description of how that works. And... <laughs> You know, to be blunt, I really don't care all that much about this sort of play-in for teams that I don't think deserve to be playing, Um, whether that's, I guess, accurate or not. But just go with the playoffs. Every other single sport's going with playoffs. Why can't they just go with playoffs? Yeah, I don't know. I I think it has to do with them needing to hit a certain number of games um, so they get the full... um, TV money for this year, the national TV money. Um, I think that's probably one of the motivations for why they did it the way they did it. I I wish they had just had the 16 teams, and if they wanted, they could have like a few exit, like they could have five or six exhibition games among them uh, before they kind of started the playoffs, just so that guys have a little bit of a chance to get in rhythm. Um, but like the way it, it comes out now, it just seems like glorified. Um, you know, glorified preseason anyway. So, uh-huh. it, I don't know. I this whole thing is just like, it's just really weird to me. And it seems like the unanimous support that they were claiming initially doesn't seem to really be the case. Not surprisingly, uh-huh. um, and that there might be some dissent in the ranks and players that don't even want to be there. So, I wouldn't blame them. I mean, it's yeah. It's, it's some three and a half months uh, being not locked down, but some sort of quarantine contained type of situation where, you know, people have families. I mean, uh, people have wives, kids, parents. Yeah. And I, I, mean, I mean, FaceTime can only do so much. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think it's three and a half months from um, when training camp starts. To it or to um, until like the first until the last game to like the finals essentially. So you could just be in quarantine for three and a half months potentially in like this bubble in Orlando where you're not allowed to see anybody. I don't know. It just if that's the measures it takes, and you're not even sure at that point that um, you know <laughs> that you're going to be able to prevent any infection. Uh, is that is that worth it? I don't know. I I feel like if LeBron got contracted coronavirus uh, two weeks into this, all of a sudden people might feel differently. Um, and you know, like I, this is what I kind of touched upon earlier. It just like 
it's just weird to me how we only care like the pandemic didn't go away <laughs> you know we should still care about this and it it seems odd to me that everybody in like nba media and stuff anyway seems almost content not to care or isn't caring currently i don't i don't know i would say that's a that's an accurate uh description of them uh and you you touched on it earlier and it was they seem to just pretend it's no longer a thing and that they're just going to go down there and and cover it and not going to say anything i guess negative or contradictory to what everyone else is talking about and it's the reality is is that there's still stuff going on it's not uh 100% safe no matter how many people try to say so um and even though they're going to be in some sort of secured area that doesn't mean anything i mean (laughs) yeah it's 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 just like how you can't stop a virus like i mean you you can limit your potential exposure but that's all you can really do it's it's very hard to say that there won't be any there's no risk i guess yeah and you know limiting exposure is what we can do you can limit but not stop or prevent it's about limiting and I, I guess this is the only way they can think of of limiting exposure and still having a season, but it, it just seems... I don't want to say illegitimate, but it seems leaning more that way than legitimate. Yeah, it's... I don't even know... The more I read about it, the more it seems like they didn't planned for it very well and all of a sudden they're realizing there's like these various aspects and contingencies that they should have been planning for Mm -hmm. um that they're just like realizing in the moment (laughs) i don't know it's it's just like it's so weird to me how it's how it's happening they're like living in the world of future problems or i don't worry about that that's that's future me's problem right then then it catches up and they're like, nah, future me is going to take care of that one. <laughs> that seems just like what their, <laughs> what their entire motivation and operating procedure is right now is, is future me's got this. But when it's right. time to do it, they just keep passing the buck to future me and it's not going to work like that. Uh, one thing I did think of is let's say you were, you know, the absolute end of the bench player who barely plays a minute a game and you're on a team that goes to the finals or whatever this uh, situation is I understand being a part of a team being part of a championship organization you know getting a ring saying you're a champion but being in quarantine for three and a half months to not even like probably play in the finals I mean some of the guys are probably gonna have to question whether it's worth it or not yeah um <laughs> I I don't this champion, I mean, the more that like I, I think Woj he tweeted out something today, but it was like, well, let me see if I can read it. Um, sources, oh yeah, players deciding against participating in Orlando could be replaced by a substitution player. NBA plans to allow replacements for players who test positive for COVID nineteen or suffer injuries 
replaced players become ineligible for the rest of the 2019-2020 season. I just don't see how you can, like, I hate to say this, but, like, there is totally going to be an asterisk on whoever wins this title. It's just, like, this is not a... It's not a good circumstance at all. It's, like, such a weird set of, you know, just circumstances overall. And, like, I think a lot of players aren't secure and, like, don't feel like they should be there, which is totally understandable. Um, I I don't know. It's so weird to me that they're even pushing this. I, I will stand by any player that says he doesn't feel comfortable and wants to doesn't want to participate in what's happening. Uh, in Orlando because, I mean, of all places to have it, let's be real, fucking Wide World of Sports, Disney World, whatever the hell they're calling this fucking yeah. bubble thing. <laughs> no, I mean, they're, they're trying to open the park, too. So, I mean, they're not going to be out and open in the park, but there's just there's so many chances for, you know, one thing to end up contaminating. And it's just, there's such a high level of risk for this. It's just, I don't... I, yeah, it doesn't seem I think, safe. Yeah, and I think I think I've seen some people express like, you know, well, I wish I could do that on my job, and it's like, yeah, I I do fucking wish I could do that. We should all wish that. That's a good thing. And if you have that ability to be like, you know what, I don't want to do this, and I I'm like financially able to not. More power to you, man. I I respect to that because. You know, I think if people want to put their health over chasing some dollars and legacy plays for titles and stuff like that in Orlando, I support that. Um, especially for like these, you know, non stars and role uh-huh. players and stuff. Like, they don't have any legacy at line here. Like, they they they're just, you know, like it's it's not worth it in a lot of cases. Um, and like. You know how many legitimate contenders are there for a title, right? Like that's another discussion to have. Like There's how many only teams? A handful, it's... right? And how many? Like so, it's like how many teams really even want to be there? I don't know. Um, it's I, don't know. I again. I just wish they had not even bothered to have it. I think they should have canceled the season, um, which sucks. It sucks for everybody. It sucks for a whole bunch of stars. It sucks for LeBron. Obviously, we know that. It sucks for a lot of guys. But mm-hmm. like, you know, <laughs> the whole. Yeah, I mean, COVID-19 sucks for all of us. So that's just what it is. It's a totally unforeseen circumstance that you can't plan for. And, you know, uh, it's unfortunate. But, like, cancel the season uh, rather than have, like, this weirdo tournament that the structure seems all weird and we're going to substitute players and I don't know. I mean, and that's even before we even get to the part of players who won't participate because of actual pre-existing health conditions. I mean, there's a ton of guys in, in, in you know, in baseball that are probably not going to be able to play if baseball even comes back. But I, I don't know of that many uh, particular guys in the NBA who have them. I know Larry Nance Jr. has Crohn's disease, and he's more susceptible uh, to the effects of the coronavirus mm-hmm. than other people. But, I you know, there are a handful of guys in Major League Baseball who had cancer and, you know have undergone treatment and they're more susceptible to this. I, I just, I'm sure there are people who are in the NBA besides Larry Nance Jr. You know, or just people who would be on teams eligible to return that wouldn't be able to play because of a health condition. I, I think there that's not necessarily being 
I guess, highlighted, or I don't know if that's the right term, but discussed enough uh, to the reality that, hey, X star might not play because he has this health condition. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. uh, there's an Indians pitcher named Carlos Carrasco underwent leukemia. If baseball comes back, I don't think he should play. <laughs> yeah, I, again, I, if you if you can if you if you can keep yourself healthy and it doesn't cost you anything, everybody would do that. So I, I know a lot of people are trying to draw comparisons to lock lockout shortened seasons, like the first Miami Heat title with LeBron or that first Spurs title, but it's it's not the same. <laughs> no, it's it's not. Because people not. have tried to asterisk those. I'm just like, no, no. No, the, those were full. Like, those seasons had a beginning, a middle, and an end. Like, this season had a beginning, it had a middle, then it had a three, it's going to be almost a four-month break. Um, then we're going to have some weird pseudo exhibition games and then jump right into the playoffs. I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know about that. It just seems very odd and substitute players and there's no home court in the playoffs. It's all very weird. It's going to be very strange. And I, I think whoever ends up coming out on top of this, uh, the discussion of their title of legitimacy or asterisk or not, will be a, a very hot topic of debate, uh, depending on which side you're on. Let's say, you know, <clears throat> the Lakers go out and win. Uh, people, Some people will say, look, the Lakers won. You know, add another to their titles and all this other crap. Or the other side, they're like, oh, look, LeBron can only win in an asterisk season. Or, you know, or, or if the Clippers win, they're like, the Clippers won, but not really. Right, <laughs> right. It, it's 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 going to spawn its own... It's, it's gonna, own, like cottage industry of takes. <laughs> it's going to keep Skip Bayless and Stephen A. Smith in business for years. 